Book Five, Chapter Four of Camilla. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nadine Gertboulet. Camilla or a Picture of Youth by Fanny Burney. Book Five, Chapter Four. A Dodging. Camilla waited in the apartment of Mr. Tyrold till he came upstairs, and then begged his leave to spend a few days at the Grove hinting, when he hesitated, though with a confusion that was hardly short of torture, at what had passed amongst the servants. He heard her with the tenderest pity, and the kindest praise of her sincerity, and, deeply as he was shocked to find her thus generally betrayed, he was too compassionate to point out, at so suffering a moment, the indiscretions from which such observations must have originated. Yet he saw consequences the most unpleasant in this rumour of her attachment, and though he still privately hoped that the behaviour of Mandelbert was the effect of some transient embarrassment, he wished her removed from all intercourse with him that was not sought by himself, while the incertitude of his intentions militated against her struggles for indifference. The result, therefore, of a short deliberation was to accede to her request. Camilla then wrote her proposition to Mrs. Albury, which Mr. Tyrold sent immediately by a stable-boy of the baronet's. The answer was most obliging. Mrs. Albury said she would herself fetch her the next morning, and keep her till one of them should be tired. The relief which this, at first, brought to Camilla, in the week's exertions it would spare, was soon succeeded by the most acute uneasiness for the critical situation of Eugenia, and the undoubted disapprobation of Edgar to quit her sister at a period where she might serve her, to forsake Cleves at the moment Edgar was restored to it, seemed selfish even to herself, and to him must appear unpardonable. Alas! she cried, how forever I repent my hasty actions! Why have I not better struggled against my unfortunate feelings? She now almost hated her whole scheme, regretted its success, wished herself suffering every uneasiness Miss Markland could inflict, and all the shame of being watched and pitied by every servant in the house, in preference to deserting Eugenia, and making Mendelbert deem her unworthy. But self-upbraiding was all that followed her confession. Mrs. Albury was to fetch her by appointment, and it was now too late to trifle with the conceding goodness of her father. She did not dare excuse herself from appearing at breakfast the next morning, lest Mr. Tyrold should think her utterly incorrigible to his exhortations. Edgar earnestly inquired after her health as she entered the room. She slightly answered she was better, and began eating with an apparent eagerness of appetite, while he, who had expected some kind words upon his own accident, surprised and disappointed, could swallow nothing. Mr. Tyrold, seeing and pitying what passed in her mind, gave her a commission that enabled her, soon, to leave the room without affectation, and, happy to escape, she determined to go downstairs no more till Mrs. Albury arrived. She wished to have conversed first upon the affairs of Eugenia with Edgar, but to name to him whither she was herself going, when she could not possibly name why, to give to him a surprise that must recoil upon herself in disapprobation, was more than she could endure. She had invested him with full powers to counsel and to censor her. 
he would naturally use them to dissuade her from a visit so ill-timed. And what could she urge in opposition to his arguments, what would not seem trifling or willful? The present moment was all that occupied, the present evil all that ever alarmed the breast of Camilla. To avoid him, therefore, now, was the whole of her desire, unmolested with one anxiety how she might better meet him hereafter. She watched at her window till she saw the groom of Mrs. Albury gallop into the park. She hastened then to take leave of Sir Hugh, whom Mr. Tyrold had prepared for her departure, but at the door of his apartment she encountered Edgar. "'You are going out?' cried he, perceiving an alteration in her dress. "'I am just going to—to to speak to my uncle,' cried she, stammering and entering the room at the same moment. Sir Hugh kindly wished her much amusement, and hoped she would make him long amends when he was better. She took leave, but again, on the landing-place, met Edgar, who, anxious and perplexed, watched to speak to her before she descended the stairs. Eagerly advancing, "'Do you walk?' he cried. "'May I ask, or am I indiscreet?' She answered she had something to say to Eugenia, but should be back in an instant. She then flew to the chamber of her sister, and conjured her to consult Edgar in whatever should occur during her absence. Eugenia solemnly consented. Jacob presently tapped at the door, to announce that Mrs. Aubrey was waiting below in her carriage. How to pass or escape Edgar became now her greatest difficulty. She could suggest nothing to palliate to him the step she was taking, yet could still less bear to leave him to wild conjecture and certain blame, and she was standing irresolute and thoughtful when Mr. Tywald came to summon her. After mildly representing the indecorum of detaining any one she was to receive by appointment, he took her apart, and putting a packet into her hand, I would not, he said, agitate your spirits this morning by entering upon any topic that might disturb you. I have therefore put upon paper what I most desire you to consider. You will find it a little sermon upon the difficulties and the conduct of the female heart. Read it alone and with attention. And now, my dearest girl, go quietly into the parlour, and let one brief and cheerful good morrow serve for everybody alike. He then returned to his brother. She made Eugenia accompany her downstairs, to avoid any solitary attack from Edgar. He suffered them to pass, but followed to the parlour, where she hastily bid adieu to Miss Margland and Indiana, but was stopped from running off by the former, who said, I wish I had known you intended going out, for I designed asking Sir Hugh for the chariot for myself this morning, to make a very particular visit. Camilla, in a hesitating voice, said she should not use her uncle's chariot. You walk, then? No, ma'am, but there is, there is a carriage, I believe, now at the door. Oh, dear, whose? cried Indiana. Do, pray, tell me where you are going, while Edgar, still more curious than either, held out his hand to conduct her, that he might obtain better information. I am very glad your headache is so well, said Miss Markland. But, pray, is Mr. Mendelbert to be your chaperon? They both blushed, though both affected not to hear her. But, before they could quit the room, Indiana, who had run to a bow-window, exclaimed, "'Dear, if there is not Mrs. Aubrey in a beautiful high phaeton!' 
Edgar, astonished, was now as involuntarily drawing back as Camilla, involuntarily, was hurrying on. But Miss Markland, insisting upon an answer, desired to know if she should return to dinner. She stammered out, No. Miss Margland pursued her to ask at what time the chariot was to fetch her, and forced from her a confession that she should be away for some days. She was now permitted to proceed. Edgar, impressed with the deepest displeasure, leading her in silence across the hall, but, stopping an instant at the door, "'This excursion,' he gravely said, "'will rescue you from no little intended importunity. I had purposed tormenting you, from time to time, for your opinion and directions with respect to Miss Eugenia.' And then, bowing coldly to Mrs. Albury, who eagerly called out to welcome her, he placed her in the phaeton, which instantly drove off. He looked after them for some time, almost incredulous of her departure, but, as his amazement subsided into certainty, the most indignant disappointment succeeded. That she could leave Cleves at the very moment he was reinstated in its society seemed conviction to him of her indifference, and that she could leave it in the present state of the affairs of Eugenia made him conclude her so great a slave to the love of pleasure that every duty and all propriety were to be sacrificed to its pursuit. "'I will think of her,' cried he, "'no more. She concealed from me her plan, lest I should torment her with admonitions. The glaring homage of the major is better adapted to her taste. She flies from my sincerity to receive his adulation. I have been deceived in her disposition.' I will think of her no more. End of chapter 4